0: the equation E is equal mc squared,
1: in which energy is put equal to mass multiplied with the square of the velocity of light, showed that very small amount of mass may be converted into a very large amount of energy.
2: Albert Einstein's equation E equals mc squared, in which energy is put equal to mass, multiplied by the square of the velocity of light showed that very small amounts of mass can be converted into a very large amount of energy.
3: How do you do something new? How do you go beyond what's been done before? You know, Einstein lived and Feynman and and Newton and all these other folks that came before us. How do we improve upon them? I think... The joy of it is that there's so much out there that we don't know and is out there left to discover.
2: The Industrial Revolution was a time of world-changing inventions. Inventions that suddenly gave people the ability to fly airplanes and drive cars, call a friend by telephone, and turn on the light with electricity. Today, we're in the midst of another revolution, the energy revolution. Here at the Skunk Works, a small team of people are trying to solve a massive problem. It's a problem that scientists have been trying to solve for over 60 years. Dr. Tom McGuire is the co founder and technical lead of the Compact Fusion program here at the Skunk Works. Tom likes to solve problems. During our interview, he noticed our solution to recording in a noisy production facility.
3: We're doing this interview in a a makeshift tent, which is pretty much an anechoic chamber made out of makeshift materials because you had a problem that you had to solve, and you made it happen.
2: Tom's childhood was full of imagination and thinking about the future.
3: Brainwashed on Star Trek as a kid, wanting to go to other planets and build spaceships out of Legos, that's all just carried over. So a lot of people talk about that there's an energy crisis or there's an energy problem and it ties into climate change and that can seem a little vague. So I like to think of it as we have a lot of people in the world and there's more of us every day. If you look at what it takes to have a first world country and that standard of living that much of the world aspires to, it requires a lot more energy than we're currently using. So. We can try to get better with conserving energy, but the demand is going to keep growing into the future. And how we meet that demand is the problem. So we need a cleaner solution. Renewables are a part of that solution, but they're not going to be able to take us all the way. So we need something more. And that's where nuclear fusion can come into play. We figured out nuclear power 50 years ago. We've had nuclear power plants, at least the first generation, for about that long. And we've improved that technology, but there's still some drawbacks with fission technology, where you're splitting the atom. Fusion is nuclear power where you're combining atoms together and then creating something more stable and giving off energy. It has some really big benefits, and it really reduces some of those secondary negatives. You know, the big negatives with fission are they can blow up, you can have a meltdown. Physics is just the way things work. The physics of that says it's susceptible to these meltdowns, and we can improve that with good engineering but we've had some accidents over the years. So part of the promise of fusion is the physics are different. It works better. The the safety is built in. Our project here at the Skunk Works really started from an exercise. We're always trying to push the boundaries for aerospace products. And we do airplanes here at the Palmdale site. And we were looking at what can make airplanes revolutionary. What what can make them 10 times better instead of 10% better? And when we are looking at that, we really looked at replacing the fuel as being a limiter. What could we do better than fossil fuels? And nuclear really stands out. It's a million times more energy-dense than oil, for example, or your normal jet fuel. Looking at that, you know, airplane is probably one of the more difficult applications to apply nuclear power to. Then we took a step back. What else could we do with it? It has the potential to touch our lives across the board, from the food we eat to the water we drink to the air we breathe. And we have a good idea that built off prior work, one that we think we can make progress on and we are making progress on here. And then we sort of tackled it and really asked some tough questions. You know, can we do it? Can we get the people? Can we get the support? And the answer to those questions has been yes. And we've been on that path for a few years now. I lead a group of about 25 folks from different fields, plasma physicists, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, computer scientists, machinists, a pretty diverse group trying to go after this problem. You know, we, we make an impact. The things we're working on are important for day-to-day life, you know, the good of the world, really. I saw these visions that people had of the future, of
0: people flying through space, doing these incredible things, going on amazing adventures in places that I'd never seen before. And the technology that enabled that was not here. It didn't exist. And I just thought, maybe I can do my part to get us there one day, to get us to this... Fantastic place that I would seen, you know, in movies and in books.
2: Dr. Franz Eberson is an engineer who researches and develops technology for the compact fusion reactor program. And here is Dr. Regina Sullivan, a research scientist who focuses on the neutral beam heating of the compact fusion reactor plasma.
1: If we just had all the Back to the Future 2 technologies, I think I'd, I'd be all set. So I've always really been into propulsion. So basically, how do you get the spacecraft out to where it needs to be to do planetary missions or even beyond the solar system? That even started when I was, you know, in high school. Like, I'd be sneaking my rocket propulsion elements book into English class and then like getting in trouble because I didn't want to, you know, write essays, but I did want to read about how to design a better like, rocket nozzle.
2: Regina, Franz, and Tom have a lot in common— but the most common thread between them is their desire to revolutionize the way the world gets our energy.
0: If there is something that's gonna change the world, it's gonna be making energy available for everybody. It's gonna be making energy that doesn't produce waste. It's not every day that the opportunity is given to you to do something that can change the world. The first thing I would tell somebody to do is just walk outside and look up. The sun is burning right there. That's the example of a fusion reactor. The fusion reactor that powers everything we see around us, what
3: gives energy to all of us. And that energy comes from something called nuclear power. And that's when particles that make up everything in the world, they change their shape and they're reorganized and they release a little bit of energy and light. And some of that makes it to us on Earth and creates all the life we see. That's what nuclear fusion energy is. Now what we're trying to do with the compact fusion reactor
0: is use that process that the sun uses to make energy, to make energy here on Earth. And what it
3: involves is... Two particles, deuterium and tritium, come together and hit. They fuse, which means they literally form a new thing. They form a helium atom. And so then it flies apart. And when they do that, they release a lot of energy.
0: And really what you're doing is you're putting different elements together and making new elements, and then energy comes out at the end of that. It all really goes back to an equation that we see everywhere. Every time we hear about Einstein, we hear about this. It's E equals mc squared. What happens is when you make these new elements, you convert mass into energy. And that's what happens. You're just converting this mass into energy, and that's what the sun does every day. That's what we hope to do, but we hope to do it in something much smaller here on Earth. It kind of makes sense that this is one of the best ways to make energy because it happens in nature. The sun has this huge, strong gravitational field that contains its energy and helps the reaction keep running. We don't have that, so we have to use something else. And that's what the challenge is. You can
3: imagine trying to make a tiny little sun The sun uses a different fuel. The sun uses pure hydrogen and some impurities. And we're using heavy hydrogen, deuterium and tritium. We have to find a way of
0: containing all this energy that gets made and then pulling energy out of it.
3: If you came on a tour of our reactor lab, you'd walk through the door and you'd see a big stainless steel cylinder with lots of wires and things hanging off it. post. It looks a bit like a porcupine. Multicolored, we we like to color code things. We have vacuum pumps, which pull the air, just like a vacuum cleaner, and we pull most of the air out of that chamber. There's still a lot of stuff in there. Vacuum's very relative. There is a lot of particles floating around your head right now in a normal atmosphere. So we take you know, about 10 orders of magnitude of the number of particles down. There. We take a lot of that air out. And then what we do, we backfill it with the fusion fuel, which is a hydrogen gas, and there's different types of hydrogen based on how many neutrons it has. There's hydrogen, deuterium, and tritium. Tritium is radioactive. And then that's our fuel. That's what we want to energize, get really hot, and then bang together to make fusion. So before we do that, we need a way that it won't touch the walls. Because we have to get that fuel really hot, way hotter than material can take, much more than stainless can take. So we wrap it in magnetic fields. Now. Different people are looking at different types of magnetic fields. So just like a, your, your magnet at home is a permanent magnet or, or maybe the electromagnet you've seen in a movie like at a junkyard where they energize it and pick up a car. That's the same technology we're talking about. And those magnetic fields can push on plasma.
2: Plasma is matter so hot and so superheated that electrons are ripped away from the atoms, forming an ionized gas. Plasma comprises over 99% of the visible universe. In the night sky, plasma glows as stars, nebulas, and even auroras that sometimes ripple above the north and south poles.
3: So what we do, we have that can, we take out the air, we backfill it with gas, we energize those coils, we make a magnetic field. And then that magnetic field gives us insulation. So then we start adding heat, whether it's a microwave energy, just like the microwave you have at home.
2: We use something
3: maybe less day to day called a particle beam. So, TVs used to have an electron beam inside them. Cathode ray tube was an electron beam that hit your screen. Now, we have LCDs, so it's a little more advanced now, but we used to have particle accelerators in everyone's living room.
2: Okay, let's do a quick review of ions and neutral particles. An ion is an atom or molecule with a positive or negative electrical charge meaning the ion's total number of electrons is not equal to its total number of protons a neutral particle has no electrical charge
1: with neutral beams they're nice for heating plasma because they can cross magnetic fields easily you know it's kind of it sounds complicated right cuz you basically take an ion beam turn it into a neutral beam and then you then you try to use the neutral beam then to heat up ions so why not just put ions in directly well, when they hit the magnetic field, they get stopped and turn around, basically. They get affected by the magnetic field. So if you want to put them across field lines, that, that's really hard to do with ions. But with neutrals, the, the particles don't really see that field. So, so you have that magnetic bottle on the outside, and the, the neutrals just kind of go screaming through it, get into the main plasma.
3: The intro is we're trying to add energy. So just like you get a light bulb, you get that gas hot inside a light bulb, and it starts putting out light. We want to get it that hot, but go way further. We keep adding heat. And that magnetic field, what it does is that gas breaks down, and instead of being neutral, neutralized, having no electric charge, it splits into its electron and its ion. And that electron and ion start zooming around, and they feel that magnetic field. And if we set up the magnetic field just right, those ions and electrons will stay on the magnetic field and not touch the walls. And that's called magnetic insulation. And that's how we keep the walls from melting. And so we go way beyond 3,000 degrees, 4,000 degrees. We're going all the way up, eventually, to 200 million degrees. Way hotter than the sun by about a factor of 10. If we have windows, you'll see a lot of light coming out. At some point, it stops putting out light because it's so hot, it doesn't spit out light in the visible anymore. So... If you're looking at your fusion reactor and it stops putting out light, ah, that could actually be a good thing. And that's basically what we've got. We've got a stainless steel can with some gas in it and a bunch of electronics on the outside that are trying to pump energy into it. Now we're talking a lot of energy. So we've got a pretty big uh, capacitor bank that's pumping energy in there, You know, but it's not moving. It, it, it's, it's just happy just sitting there, but there's a lot of power flowing in. We're trying to do experiments that tell us our models and technological approaches are valid and actually work. A lot of experimental, we call it experimental physics. We come up with an idea, come up with a model, we build an apparatus. It uh, looks a lot like a giant light bulb. You get a gas, you start getting it hot, it starts putting off light. And then you measure it and you see if it's really behaving. Is it stable? Does it wiggle out of its confinement? Is it some of it sneaking out and touching the walls and causing you know little bits of stainless to get into the plasma? That's bad. And that's what everyone in this field is trying to do, is create an experiment that tests their ideas that they think are better than what's come before. And if they're successful, we take it to the next step. We do another experiment.
1: It's going through that whole list of unknowns and then checking off one box at a time.
3: And eventually that trail ends with a product that can produce electricity or heat or drive a boat or something useful. A
0: lot of other fusion concepts, they just... They hit it with the maximum magnetic field that's possible to try to contain things. We're after this intermediate area.
2: The Skunk Works approach to compact fusion is a high beta concept.
1: Beta is the ratio of the plasma pressure over the magnetic pressure.
0: We want the plasma to balloon up, the magnetic field to push against it, and then eventually they start kind of pushing. The push between the two is equal And that's where equilibrium state happens, where you have the plasma and the magnetic field pushing against one another.
1: Okay, I guess as an analogy, picture a balloon as your magnetic bottle. As you're introducing plasma and you're heating that plasma up, you're basically creating pressure inside the balloon. So you're blowing up the balloon. If you inflate your balloon to a certain pressure, you reach an equilibrium where you have the structure of the balloon, the pressure inside, and the pressure outside, getting it to a certain size and containing that pressure within. We have a vacuum chamber that all of this is in, and then we have these coils, and the coils form a magnetic field. And the magnetic field doesn't necessarily follow the edges of the vacuum chamber that we have. That's one of the big things that we're testing here is a different topology than is generally considered kind of mainstream approach in magnetic confinement. So we have a different shaped bottle, basically. But the bottle is how the magnetic field lines look inside of our device. Ideally, they confine plasma, especially as we heat it up. You can see where the plasma is. So we have windows on the device. You can actually see sort of the outside of the edge of the plasma.
3: Beautiful pink and Purple and blue pictures of what the plasma looks like. We have ultra fast cameras looking at it to see if it's wiggling and having instabilities. Plasma's pretty funky. You can think of these little particles like ants. So have you ever heard the ants like don't really they don't know much, but they come together to do amazing things and build crazy ant fortresses and really interesting, complex behaviors. These particles are really simple. There's only really three particles that you have to really worry about and then they sort of go together in lots of different ways. And you think plasma, be oh yeah, well, we got a magnetic field and they orbit the magnetic field, we're good to go. But all that complexity comes in and that's why it's an interesting hard problem. And that's why, you know, you can go home with a bit of a headache some days.
2: The behavior of plasma can be extremely complicated. There are sometimes instabilities within plasma. And to give us an idea of what this can look like, Tom uses this example.
3: Think of when you're on the highway and you're driving and suddenly everyone slows down. And then a few minutes later, everyone speeds back up. So sometimes there's an accident. You see the accident. You're like, all right, there's an accident. Sometimes you don't see anything. You just slow down. And you're like, what the heck was that? Well, that's an instability. And that could be a lot of different things. What causes that? There could have been an accident, like a shadow of an accident like an hour before. You know, someone could have hit the brakes hard, you know, dropped their coffee in their lap and then sped back up. And that little pulse could have left a spot, like a hole that ever, it's like a shadow that stuck. So stuff like that happens in plasma. And it's, it's even worse because there, instead of just looking at the car in front of you and the car behind you, you actually feel like every little particle feels every car in front of it on the whole highway every car behind it so think how crazy that is and so when we get fusion to work in quotes that does not mean we are going to understand it 100 it will only mean that we understand it well enough to make it work and we're going to keep learning stuff as we go
1: well I, it's just hard to contain plasma and in terms of heating the plasma which is one of our big goals We have to get a really nice, nicely behaved and clean plasma in order for it to couple well with the neutral beam. So if you have a dirty plasma, if the plasma is not dense enough, then what happens is the neutral beam either passes right through it, or if you have contaminants in the plasma, then the neutral beam will exchange its energy with those contaminants and basically heat up the contaminants instead of the plasma that you want heated up. has impurities from like say running into the wall or like the electrodes that have been used to create it kind of erode and make some little particles that get caught up in the plasma. So, for example, we have a plasma source that has tungsten electrodes on it. Basically the tungsten can come off when you're creating the plasma a little bit and then get into the plasma volume. So we're trying to make hydrogen plasmas or deuterium plasmas. So that's a really tiny particle. You can now imagine you have a stream of tiny particles with these big, big tungsten particles floating around in it, kind of like if you overturned a semi in the road and then a bunch of cars ran into it, and they now they've deposited a bunch of their energy into that overturned semi, but it doesn't help with the flow of traffic at all. It just, you know, obstructs things. So basically, what every fusion researcher is trying to reach is a point called breakeven. So that's, you get more power out of the device than you put into the device to make it work. And then a step beyond that is you create a fusion reaction that sustains itself.
0: You could imagine that you have a campfire you're trying to light. You keep having to light matches and throw in paper, you know, to keep it going. And that's kind of the same thing that a lot of people are doing now. They can get the fire to go, but they can't get it to run itself. We want to get it to a point where it's the campfire just thing lit by itself. What happens now is basically we have to brute force it. We just dump everything we have into it. We get a couple of fusion reactants and then we're like, yeah, we're getting closer. But the holy grail of this whole thing is getting it to the point of Where you light it, it runs itself, and the amount of energy it's making is enough to self-sustain it. Or it's enough so that the amount of energy you're collecting from it is enough for you to run the system by itself. So you can imagine that we start the fusion reaction, we have it running, and then we have our method for pulling energy out of it through some heat exchanger, something like that. That energy we now use to run our magnets that contains our, our plasma. We want to get to the point where you know, that whole system, you aren't putting more in than you're pulling out.
1: Once you've done that, you can basically capture the energetic particles that are coming out in the fusion reaction. So that could be things like neutrons, energetic neutrons. So then the energetic neutrons would go into some sort of capture system, say like a molten salt system, where they basically deposit their energy. That system flows out, and you use it to, the heat from that to run something like a turbine.
2: There are a lot of ideas about how one might capture the energy from fusion.
3: That that fusion power is coming out in the form of neutrons, which is a small particle that comes out, doesn't feel magnetic fields. It's neutral. But we can slow it down by ramming it into a piece of metal. And basically the plan right now is to ram it into a piece of metal and get that heat and run an engine. So the same type of engine that runs the airplane we were talking about earlier We can use that as a turbine to generate power, just like we do generating at a coal plant. We can use those same principles, that same technology, to turn it into electricity. That's one of the motivations by having it compact, is it not only makes the development faster so that we can actually not go broke trying to get there, um, but also when we get there and you have a product, it's something that people can buy. To give you an idea, when we build a power plant, a very common-sized power plant that's built is 500 megawatts for a gas plant. We want to get it so that it's in the range of what we spend on on power plants already. So it's like, hey, when you know my hometown of Palmdale needs a new power plant because the one we have is getting old and we need to replace it, it'll be the choice we choose, not just because it's the right thing to do for the planet, it's also the cheapest and best solution. You know, we, we have a very small amount of fuel that goes in, costs almost nothing. The cost really comes in from, just like your normal power plant, well, it's just going to be a different type of power plant. You know, and there'll be folks that are doing maintenance, folks that are working on the utility lines. It, it won't look a heck of a lot different. It's just at the source, it'll be a lot cleaner. You're really, you're getting your fuel from f- seawater and, and lithium, which is a metal that's pretty abundant in the earth. That's the first generation. If you look farther in the future, the third generation fuel is just going to take hydrogen and boron and make helium gas. And make very little radiation. Nothing long term. So nothing that's hard to deal with. Renewables. We get a lot of light from the sun. The light from the sun also drives the thermal currents that make the wind. So you can drive wind. Those are great. We have water on Earth. You can drive hydro. Geothermal power uses the the latent heat of radioactive elements inside the Earth. So everything I just said relies on either the sun or radioactive elements in the Earth. So no matter what we do, we're going to use fusion power. Fusion or fission. It's just what form. And looking far into the future, fusion and then some renewables as much as we can seems to be the best solution that we have, at least that we know of right now. What we will have is small bottles of hydrogen going into these plants. When I'm talking small, I'm talking like a whole power plant for a year might use enough fuel that will fit in the back of your Prius in the trunk. We're talking about a million times factor. That's the promise of nuclear. It could power the human race for a million years. We'll run out of oil, we'll run out of uranium, you know, in a few thousand years at best. So people have been working on this problem for a while. One of the pitfalls is thinking that just because people have worked on something before and maybe stopped, that it's impossible or that that's a dead end. In some cases, that might be the case. But in other cases, maybe they took it as far as they could, and then you know, other stuff happened. And there's a lot of examples of that where experiments were done, you know, maybe they hit a brick wall, and then they ran out of money. Sometimes you get a result, and we run into this lot where it sounds very concrete. It's like, well, clearly, balloons cannot fly because they don't have wings. And at the time, that logic probably made sense. But then you look back on it, it's like, well, no, we know some other stuff. And, like, you didn't consider this. So the folks that were doing it, it's not that they got it wrong, it's that they didn't have all the information that we have access to. So part of what we're doing is trying to leverage recent discoveries. You don't want to be naive, but you can be optimistic.
0: This is isn't a problem that we're going to solve by ourselves. It's something that we're going to solve by working with the community. It's something we're going to solve by using the ideas of all of these people that have
3: come before us. We are not developing our experiment alone. We work hand-in-hand hand with, at last count, it was 30 or 40 different groups, companies and universities and government agencies that helping us along the way to do things. And some of that is done privately and some of that is more public. We have relationships with our competitors that are doing other experiments, not the same as ours. We're in a a really good environment because people are working on different concepts. So if I wanna make a diagnostic, something that tells me how hot my plasma is, I don't wanna hold that back from my competitor. We're all trying to get to the same goal. So right now we're in an environment where we can share that knowledge and we are sharing that knowledge. The world set this precedent back in the 60s, when fusion was declassified, and the Russians, the British, Europeans, and the Americans all came together and really t- traded notes. Let's do this because it's important, and, and let's talk. And ever since, that's been the atmosphere, and we're trying to live up to that. It, you can take a step back and just think, okay, what, what is the biggest factors in your daily life? So when you wake up, are you cold? Did you have heat? How are you going to get to work? What are you going to eat that day? Are you going to have clean water, electricity? What the opportunities are for your kids? Those are the big problems in the world. And you start looking at what actually makes a difference, and energy goes into a lot of those. If it works, there's no
0: doubt in my mind or anybody's mind that it changes everything. It changes the whole landscape of how power looks. It changes the way Anybody and everybody's going to want to make energy. It's just one of those things that we've been after for a long time, and if we figure out how to do it, it's one of those threshold events in humanity. Everybody will remember, this is when we figured out fusion.
1: You can basically have a portable reactor that you can take lots of different places, and you can put on lots of different things. So you can get a fusion reactor that's of small enough size to put on a spacecraft and use it for your propulsion.
0: And that's where, you know, my little kid comes back out again.
1: One of the things that I think is great about the Skunkworks project is, you know, Lockheed is really really making the commitment to make that future happen. The energy problems of the future are really going to be huge. As a society, we really need to go all in on this to solve these problems.
3: You know, we're close. We have been working on this a while there really is the chance to make an impact. Turn sci fi into reality, then you can actually have a chance of making a difference. You don't need to be Einstein. You just need to be the designer who helped figure out how to make the first airplane. You'd be the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers are pretty awesome. They, they, they had a little bit of Einstein going for them, too. You get a really big problem, and you work really hard at it, you solve it. And then you look at what's the next big problem? Then you work really hard at it, and you solve it. And what's the next big problem? And you go get a soda, and then you work on that problem, and you solve that problem. And what's the next one? You solve it. What's the next one? Solve it. And what's the next one?
2: Inside Skunkworks is produced inside the Skunkworks. And by the way, it might be obvious, but don't stare at the sun. We'll be back in two weeks with our season finale. Stay tuned for a sneak peek. To see images of the fusion reactor in action, check out our show notes at LockheedMartin.com slash Inside Skunk
3: We measure ourselves by time. It just feels good to go faster. So there's always been this fascination
1: of going fast. So this is just the next step.